God goes to great lengths to rescue lost and hurting people. That's what the story is all about. The story of the Bible, God's great love affair with humanity. Good morning. Welcome to chapter 3 of the story. And if you're not, uh, this is your first time here today, you don't have a story Bible, you're welcome to pick one of these up. We even have a Spanish edition. If you have uh, someone in your uh, fellowship that struggles with English and their Spanish is their tongue of origin, we have some of those out there for you. We want everybody to know the story of God, God's upper story, and in the process, finding your connection, your lower story connecting to God's grand story design and grand story. Jennifer was a young woman who attended church and she dreamed of becoming a nurse. She knew it would would be a challenge because her family was pretty impoverished. She didn't have a lot of means and income and uh, but she had done well in high school and she had applied to a college and was accepted but the tuition was just out of reach for her at that time. So uh, she moved in with her mom and her 14-year-old brother, and uh, her brother had problems. He was in trouble with the law sometimes because of some dabbling in drugs. He got in trouble in school, and uh, he, was, he, he was just a 14-year-old rambunctious teenager, but, but Jennifer was his biggest champion. She always had his back, even when he would um, be accused of wrongdoing. What Jennifer would do is, after each paycheck with her job, she would save money, and she would put it in a small box in her bedroom, and she saved up for her first uh, tuition payment uh, in the coming years. Uh, One day, she went to put her money in the box, and when she opened it up, it was all gone but $20, and she knew who had taken it. Her brother had taken it, and she was just devastated. That following Sunday, she went to church, and she heard the preacher talking about forgiveness talking about God's ability to redeem what's been broken, things that have happened in your life, being able, God being able to bring someone through a moment of betrayal. And so what she decided to do is she took that last $20 and she just put a note with it in the offering plate saying, give this to the Lord, Jennifer. And uh, her story got found out that uh, she was trying to go be a nursing student and she was trying to do this, but... But uh, her brother had taken the money. So the following Sunday, um, she uh, was in church again, and the minister got up and he said, Hey, we received $20 last week, and we also had this note about a, a girl named Jennifer. We don't know who she is, but some in the congregation have said that she's trying to become a nurse and that, you know, went into the, a little bit of the details of the story. And there were four or five people in the congregation that were just overwhelmed when they began to find out the details of who she was, and they not only came forward to uh, provide monies for her to go to college, but for all four years of college. Isn't that a beautiful story? And, and what she learned was that even though she was betrayed by someone who was close to her, God was still able to redeem that and gave other people actually an opportunity to play into her story and God's story in what happens when you're betrayed And then God steps into your story. 
Forgiving someone who has betrayed you may be the most difficult thing you ever do. It's easier to forgive an enemy than to forgive a friend because for betrayal to occur, there has to be trust first. And when that trust is broken, it, it breaks our heart, breaks the relationship. We've never expected to be cheated on, lied to, abused, or taken advantage of. But when those things happen, when it happens, it's so painful. And it, it really, we can't see past, oftentimes we can't see past that moment. Some people get stuck in that moment for years. We have a vision for our lives, but suddenly it changes. All of us have some vision, some expectation of how it will all work out. What we will do, who we will marry, what the ceremony will be like. I talk to young couples getting married, and, and the girl always has this image of what her wedding celebration is going to be like, right? And she's thought about that for years. We have these dreams, we have these visions, we have these hopes. And when they're crushed through betrayal or through life circumstances that we never saw coming, it, it's really hard to get past that. It can really be difficult. And so we start off dreaming how the story of our lives will turn out a certain way, but it never goes quite how we planned it, <laughs> does it? There are very few people, maybe no one, whose life goes how they thought it would go. But that doesn't mean God's not involved. And that doesn't mean they're forgotten. And that doesn't mean that God can't work through whatever unexpected betrayal or circumstances taking place. Why do these things happen? Sometimes it's our own poor decisions. Our decisions have consequences. Sometimes owning that is hard to deal with. Sometimes people fail us. Many times people fail us. If no one's ever failed you, they will. Aren't you glad you came? Right? Evil exists. Satan exists. Right? There's an enemy about. The life of Joseph epitomizes how God can guide our lives through unexpected events. And so, in Genesis 37, we're going to begin our story of Joseph, the 11th son of Jacob. And the beginning of his life that we're going to pick up on, he's at age 17. He's a 17-year-old, favored son of his father, um, obviously a, a, a handsome young man, an intelligent young man, and he receives a dream that his brothers, well, his whole family, will bow down to him one day. Now, if God ever gives you a dream where your family bows down to you, don't share it. <laughs> don't, don't tell anyone, right? Keep it. To yourself and so when he shares this dream uh, it causes a lot of problems at that same age 17 two other events happen one is he receives a coat of many colors the technicolor dream coat right the the play that we has been on stages all over the country and and anyway this coat shows his favored status with Jacob the patriarch of the family so daddy Jacob he and Parents should never do this, but sometimes they do pick a favorite, and that causes animosity among all the others. Now, this coat was more than just demonstrating that he was a favorite. It also said that he would receive half the inheritance when, when his father passed. 
And, and it also said that he doesn't do manual labor. Interesting. So he's got a lot of older brothers. He's the 11th, right? There's only one younger than him, Benjamin. And, and, and so you can imagine the animosity that begins to take place against him and how upset they are with dad for doing that. And so he's got a coat of many colors. He receives a dream. And then there's one more thing that happens. One day when he's 17 years old, his daddy says, I want you to go out, find your brothers and check on them, see how they're doing in the field. And that sets up the events of Joseph's life. His brothers see him coming across the hills and they said, here comes that dreamer. They don't call him by his name, right? And they said to each other, come, now let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Oh, the families of the Bible. Have you ever thought, my family's so dysfunctional. We, we, just, we just fight all the time. We can't seem to get along at Thanksgiving or Christmas, right? There's crazy Uncle Eddie in his RV out front. I mean, you know, right? And I say to them when they say, man, my family's messed up. I'm like, have you ever read the Bible? Because the families in the Bible are the like, are the, you know, they're the apex of dysfunction. But that doesn't mean God's not still working in that family. Matter of fact, you know, if you know the story, God's really working in this family. Now, Reuben, the oldest, he talks the other brothers out of murder. And one other brother, Judah, he figures out a way to make a quick buck. Right. And so Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay hands on him. After all, he is our brother. <laughs> We're just going to sell him into slavery. Our own flesh and blood. I mean, you should be laughing. The author wants us to have some like, like, really? People can think this way about their own kin? Mm-hmm. Right. So his brothers agreed. So they return home. They lie to their father. They said that Joseph was killed by this ferocious animal, right? And, 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 and here's his coat. His coat's got blood on it. And so Jacob, the father, is going to live with years of remorse and regret about the loss of his son. Every time the brothers sit down to a family gathering, there's one plate set that nobody's sitting at in honor of him. And so the brothers live in this smothering guilt for decades. And Joseph, well, he's standing on the auction block in Egypt, getting ready to become a slave. Now, before we continue, this is one of the primary stories in all the Bible where we see God's upper story and man's lower story find a connection. And so I want to point out how Joseph is pointing to Jesus. Because if we can't see Jesus when we read the Bible, we're not looking hard enough. And this is an obvious place to look. So both Joseph and Jesus were loved by their fathers. Both Joseph and Jesus were sent as messengers. Both Joseph and Jesus were hated and became a slave. Both were envied by brothers who refused to believe both were betrayed in the hands of Gentiles. Both were sold out by a man named Judas. Mm. 
Both were stripped of their coats. Both came out of the pit alive. Both were falsely accused but remained silent. Both suffered for righteousness' sake. Both were praised by people as a savior to the world. Both began their good work at the age of 30. Both were exalted to the right hand of the throne of God. And both, well, Joseph to the right hand of the throne of Pharaoh. Both were where the government rested upon their shoulders. And both would have every knee bow to them. Folks, you can't make this stuff up. If you don't believe the Bible is the inerrant, inspired word of God, then you are not looking at the Bible. You can't dovetail two lives separated by centuries so close and walk away and go, man, this, this, you know, this is just coincidence. Really? Really? That's like taking a hand grenade, throwing it in a junkyard, and out pops a 747. That's what we're talking about. Like that type of coincidence? It's ridiculous. God is at work. God created us. God sustains us. And God is alive in our lives. Amen. Can I get, an, can I get a witness? All right. Here we go. All right. <laughs> anyway. All right. I'd like to go that way one day. Just see what y'all would do. But, but anyway. Uh, back to the story. Rather than reacting to bitterness, Joseph, well, he's just, he knows God's with him. And he's going to continue to do what he knows his daddy has taught him to do. And that's be a good, a good servant. And so he does. And, and, uh. We read that when his master, Potiphar, who buys him, when his master saw the Lord was with him, and you're going to see that phrase repeat over and over again in Joseph's story, that the Lord gave him success in everything that he did. Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and entrusted him his care to everything that he owned. So Potiphar goes, this guy works as if I am paying him top wage. There's a little lesson right there, right? Whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord, right? So no matter what situation you find you're in, like, you know, we're going to try to give our best. So that's what Joseph does. And Potiphar recognizes not only is he working diligently, but that favor is resting upon him. I guess Potiphar is an astute guy. Like he can see that there's something very unique happening with Joseph and all those who connect with him in his household. And so he goes like, I give you complete trust. And so the next part of Joseph's story sounds like an episode from Desperate Housewives, right? And it, it's just crazy because Potiphar's status gives him the opportunity to, to leave the house. And then that sets Joseph up for a really difficult moment. After a time, his master's wife, Potiphar's wife, cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and he said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he put me, he, put, he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything ex from me except yourself. Because you are his wife. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And then in chapter 39 of the Bible, verse 10, we see that Potiphar's wife continues to pursue him. Like, this isn't just a one-time event. This is every time he's walking near her, she's, she's trying to get him to engage sexually with him, with her. And so, um, even in the midst of this hardship, Joseph recognizes that God is present. And he's going to do what's right. We could say, 
in a general sense, Joseph, when he's tempted like Christ, denies the temptation and does the right thing. Now, I know Joseph is a man like we are, human like we are, and he's made mistakes along the way. But, but it's set up for us to help us see that here is one righteous man who doesn't succumb to the temptation of evil and does what is right. And we're like, that is, like, if I was in that situation, I don't know if I could, if I would do the same thing. We might, we might say that, like, we don't know. Because what's interesting is, sometimes disappointment will draw us to God, and sometimes it becomes a justification for our sin. And I would say probably more often, our disappointment tends to justify our disobedience. You hear me? It has for me. I don't know if it has for you. Someone might say, God, you put me in this horrible situation. I'm going to find a little happiness for myself. Disappointment tends to justify disobedience, especially in the area of finding love and belonging. When we feel let down by God. The rationalization goes like this. Okay, God, I've waited. I've prayed. I've been wanting a spouse and you're not listening, so I'm just going to find some, some happiness amidst my suffering and I'm going to do what I want to do. It often goes like that, doesn't it? And so maybe the person is in a marriage relationship and they feel neglected, not cherished, abandoned, not loved, and they're like, I'm going to get some attention. My old college flame, they're on Facebook, boom. The connection's made. Justification? Because they're not finding love. They're not finding acceptance. They feel like God has abandoned them. Justification of all types of sin arise from life's disappointments. Really does, doesn't it? And so Joseph's statement, how can I sin against God, points to he had a deep relationship with God, which is pretty incredible when you think about the period of time we're talking about. Like, there's no... Jesus Bible story book laying around when he's growing up like he's relying on the stories of his father Jacob who received the stories from his father Isaac who received his stories from his father Abraham right And, and, and so just the stories of God's involvement in their lives kept this relationship alive for him even though when he was you know cast aside so, how can, how can we get through these moments? Where is God when we're in the dungeon? Where is He? Where is God when we lose someone we love? Where is God when tragedy comes in the form of an accident, a storm, a hurricane, like the people in the Bahamas, 50% of their housing gone? I mean, that's, that's incredible, and I hope we can help with that. But where is God when some accident, some form of violence comes against us or those that we love? Like, bad things happen to good people. We get that. Where is God when we're in the dungeon? But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in sight of the keeper of the prison. We see it again in verse 23. Like two verses later, in one paragraph of the Bible in the story, there's this mention of God's presence. In one paragraph, like, it's, like that's why the paragraph's there. So that when Joseph 
is found in the most distant place you could possibly believe, the dungeon of the most powerful man in the world, Pharaoh. God is right beside him. God is right beside the person who's sick, frustrated, the person who's got someone who's dying, who's grieving the loss of someone they love. God is right beside the depressed, the one who has suicidal thoughts. God is right beside the hopeless. God is right beside the person who can't find belonging. God is right beside that person. And why? Why is God right beside the people who are most crushed by life? Because God is drawn to the desperate. Actually, I think it's only when we're desperate that we're really ready to listen and reach out to God. Because when life is up and to the right, we're not talking to God as much. I'm just, maybe you're better than that. And, and I'm not here to say everybody's like that. In 2010, 33 Chilean miners found themselves trapped 2,300 feet underground by a, a boulder twice the size of the Empire State Building. They had a 2% chance of living. And so these miners trapped in this mine do what people do when they have no hope. They look for God, and they found it in one man named Jose Enriquez. He was the guy who lived out his faith, prayed before he ate, and they knew Jose had a connection with God. And so they asked, they asked him to pray for them, and he says on one condition that we all get on our knees. And so they all did, and they began to confess their sins. And it's such a great story of where God shows up when you're in the dungeon of life. And they certainly were in that. And so in our darkest moments, when we have nothing left to cling to, and we can only hope in something outside ourselves, it's then we discover God's power and presence in a way we have never experienced I, I, don't, I don't want anyone to suffer. I don't want to suffer. But here's what I know. If we recognize that God is with us in our suffering, you can guarantee to receive a special blessing from God, one that you couldn't find until you were put in a position where you had no one to turn to but Him. If you trace this idea in Scripture, you'll find out that God's deliverance often follows closely to those who are in desperate situations. His blessing is best received. Listen, His blessing is best received when we're broken and able to receive it. It's true. I'm just saying it's so true. And so throughout history, God's most powerful servants have come from a place of desolation and abandonment. The most significant people who have ever lived in world history have come from a place of abandonment, betrayal, and desperation. It's almost like you have to go through that before you can discover that God is greater than anything that you'll ever face. By the way, those 69 miners, I mean those, those, those 30 minor, 33 miners, after 69 days they were... They were delivered. It was, a, it, was a, it was a miracle. And if you got to watch that, it was, it, was, it was incredible. But God gave 
Joseph the ability to interpret dreams in that prison. And so two of the king's servants wind up there. He interprets their dreams, and that will lead to him moving from slave to deputy Pharaoh, the second most powerful position in the known world. (laughs) How does that happen? God, that's how that happens. And so what happens is Pharaoh has a dream about a bunch of cows, wheat, coming, and, and, and here's, here's the dream. There's seven fat cows, they walk up out of the Nile, and then there's seven skinny cows, and they walk up out of the Nile, and they eat the fat cows. And he's racking his brain. He keeps having this dream, and no one can figure it out. But one of those guys that was in the dungeon with, with Joseph, he remembers that he'd met a man in the dungeon who interpreted dreams, and they brought him out, cleaned him up, put him in front of Pharaoh. Pharaoh told him his dream, and Joseph said, God will interpret that dream for you, and he does. He says, there's going to be seven years of great crops, and then there's going to be seven years of famine. And Pharaoh should know that he should put away uh, grain for the next seven years to survive those next seven, the following seven years of famine. And, and, and Pharaoh says, wow, I'm impressed. Where can we find a man like this in whom the, is in the spirit of God? The, the, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over all my house. Sound familiar? And all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will, be greater, will, will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Now, get some perspective. What's the, what's the timeline? 17, three things happened, right? He got a coat. He got a dream, and he was betrayed. Thirteen years later. Thirteen years later. I know how good you are at waiting. I've seen you go through the drive-thru. I've seen you move from this line to this line and food line because there's one person less. And then you got frustrated because you look back over the line, you left, and it's gone. And you're like, ugh, Right? Hey, you want to try a spiritual exercise? Try this. Next time you're, you go to the grocery store, go to the longest line and make it a point to talk to somebody. Just be friendly. Maybe talk to them about the Lord or prayer or just see how they're doing. Just threw that in for free. All right, so anyway, <laughs> when, famine came to the, when famine came to the land, as Joseph said it would, as a dream forecasted, all the Middle East comes to Egypt. Pharaoh's going to become even more powerful and even more richer because of the family, because he had, he had things to sell. So people were giving away their land and everything. One family that came to that land was Joseph's family and all his brothers. And so we, we, we read about Jacob. This is Joseph's father. We, le- we learned that he knew grain was for sale in Egypt, and he said to his sons, why do you look to one another? Like, you bumbling idiots, what are you doing standing around? We're dar- Well, you know, there's grain down there. And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us that we may live and not die. And this is, so this famine brings all this family down there. And, and Joseph, if you, we don't have time to go into details, but if you know the story, Joseph puts his brothers through a series of tests to see if their heart condition has changed. We don't know how much has changed. But anyway, uh, his brothers do bow down to him when they find out who his real identity. They're grief stricken. They're maybe maybe they feel a sense of relief 
because this guilt is finally out, right? Like, you remember that moment? Like, when you finally said, I lied, and this is what really happened, and it's like, oh, finally, I get that guilt off me. But, but whatever feelings they have, which I'm sure is a range of emotions, uh, he reveals his true identity to them, and he lets them know that God was involved. He says, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So they're, they're tongue-tied, right? And Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. Joseph figured it out. He knew that his lower story had connected with God's upper story to bring salvation physically to the world. If it had not been for Egypt there would have been millions, maybe, who would have died from starvation. Now look, God never intends evil to come into anyone's life. God created a perfect universe, did he not? But because sinful choices and an enemy and the existence that we live in is broken, things happen that are, that are not good. But he never desired Joe to be Betrayed by his family. He never desired him to be a slave. He never desired him to be falsely accused. He never desired him to be in prison. But God used all of that to reveal his power. And show that even in the midst of the worst circumstances. There is purpose in life. And so the trials we go through test us. And cause us to trust in God. I hope. I hope. That if you're in the midst of a trial, your trust is grinding in deeper into God's love. Like you just like keep planting that anchor deeper into his identity. And, and, and he equips us with the power we need at just the right time in desperate situations. Another thing too is this. I've witnessed this. I've experienced this. That it's in the suffering we are equipped to do ministry. It's so true. Talk to the people, when you hear someone talk about, the, the best speakers, when you, when you hear them talk about like surviving, you know, like uh, abuse, rape, uh, uh, surviving some type of an event, like, like those people, when they're speaking out of their own experience, like it's so powerful and you're like, man, it's like, it's like God is speaking through them. Well, yeah, he is. And so, so sometimes we're equipped in the, in the dungeon to do what we never thought we could do before. We all have a lower story that in some way is connecting to God's story. Not just about us, but about others. And it certainly was for Joseph. So whatever you're going through, remember, it's not just about you. God is at work. Never give up on God's ability to redeem your story. Joseph forgives his brothers bring salvation to millions. And so ask God to redeem what's been broken. You know, you've, you've, lost, you've lost this income, time with someone you love. Uh, something's, something's been taken from you. You never thought to be... And ask, ask God, will you redeem this? Somehow, God, will you redeem this moment? Will you redeem this loss? Will you take what I feel is like the biggest thing that I never wanted to happen? Will you take that... And use it, use it somehow in your story. I, I don't know how you're going to do it, God, but just ask him. Pray. 
If I were to read your story on job loss or divorce or betrayal or the adultery episode, the bankruptcy, if I was to read that chapter, how would that chapter end? Now, some of you might be like, I don't know yet. You know, I'm just at page one. I've just got like this part down. And so we've heard this verse at least twice this morning already. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. This is one of my favorite scriptures in all the Bible. Because here's what, here's what I see over and over again. God redeems things that are broken. And he uses that in a, in a, in a majestic way. We were talking a little bit about this on Wednesday night in our small group. And one of our one of our people in there said, hey, you remember the illustration of the tapestry? So, you know, you see these beautiful tapestries. If you turn them over on the other side, it doesn't look very good. Right. Because you got all these threads pulled together and it, it just doesn't look well. But when you turn back the other side, you're like, wow, it's so beautiful. Well, that's oftentimes when you see the when you see the beginnings of our story, it looks rough and broken and, and messed up. But when we, if we'll just wait, if we'll just ask, if we'll just know that God is right there with us, there will be a redeeming. Now, why didn't, why didn't God just end the famine? Like people say, well, God's letting all these people starve to death in Africa today, you know. Like, why didn't God stop it then? There's a bunch of reasons why. First of all, Jacob's family was not strong enough to take all of Canaan land. Canaan land was inhabited with Canaanites who were steeped in idolatry. And so what he does is God does not want them to intermarry with those people. So he brings them to Egypt. And in bringing them to Egypt, Joseph puts them in a land called Goshen, which is a, a fertile land. And the Egyptians hate shepherds, right? So the Egyptians won't intermarry with a shepherd because they despise them. So they remain they grow to a strong nation and they remain uh, isolated. This is all about bringing forth the Messiah. And so uh, this is why. And it only took 400 years. <laughs> Just 400. Right? So hide this truth in your heart. Humans fail. But God prevails. Tattoo that on your neighbor. Okay, maybe not. But it really is true. And we could find multiple stories. Remember that story of Jennifer we started out with? Well, I told you that she had, that note was read and, and people heard her story and they donated to her tu- tuition. She's a, today she's an oncology nurse. She's a mother and a wife. And, and she's had a powerful influence of good in her brother's life. And so, so when we're in the middle of these events in our life, know that God is at work. Know that, that our lower story is going to find a deep connection to God's upper story if we'll just learn from what Scripture teaches us, that God is there, that humans will fail, but God always prevails. Let's pray. Father God, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to, to tell part of Joseph's story. I'm fascinated with it. I don't know how many sermons I've heard about it. I don't know how many lessons I, that people have talked about this. And so, so really, Father, there's so much from his life that we can glean. 
But Father, I'm sure when he was in the middle of it, it wasn't, he wasn't thinking about how we're going to benefit from reading about it. But yet, Lord, he remained faithful, even in the midst of the most negative circumstances. And so, Lord, I'm asking right now that you would work in our lives to help us understand that maybe what's going in our life right now, it really is going to feed into someone else's life years from now. That that the events taking place in this church, the struggles that we face, the moments of the moments of victory that we experience, that we we might think it's about this moment, but it really is something far beyond this, that somebody somewhere down the line will stand on our shoulders and do even greater things. And and so Lord, I know that each of us carry burdens of brokenness. And some of us have worked through it. And some of us are working through it. And some of some people, Father, they're so deep in the dungeon right now, they're just really having a hard time seeing how God could bring anything good out of what they've been brought into or what they've walked into. But I know you're at work. So, Lord, I'm just grateful that we have Joseph's story to read and celebrate. And I'm praying your work right now in this moment. Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. You can find us on the web at cornerstonechatham.org.